from the Webinar Vet, welcoming you to another episode of the UK's top veterinary podcast, Vet Chat. I am super pleased, super honoured to have Gemma Campling on the line today. Gemma is the CEO of Worldwide Vets. I met Gemma, I think about uh, six to 12 months ago at a conference in the UK and was fascinated by her backstory and I thought this would be a great person to get on to tell us all the wonderful work that she's doing at the moment and has done. Gemma is a graduate of the Nottingham Vet School, one of the first graduates out of there in 2014, but she actually founded Worldwide Vets in 2011 when she was still a student. I'm going to pass it over to you, um, Gemma. First of all, welcome, but also to explain to us for, for those listening who don't know what Worldwide Vets is, explain to us what Worldwide Vets is and what it does. Absolutely. So thank you so much for that introduction. Um, and lovely to, to be here talking with you today. So Worldwide Vets is a UK registered NGO and 501c3 registering organisation in America as well. And we essentially work around the world trying to help stray animals working animals and pets owned in areas struggling with poverty. So we work in currently 10 different countries across four continents, uh, providing animal care treatment, um, welfare training, providing medical supplies, medicines, equipment, volunteer vets, um, outreach, and also uh, mental health and wellness training as well for veterinary surgeons. And at the moment, uh, we've got a presence in, um, in Africa through Zimbabwe, Tanzania and South Africa, and Peru and Costa Rica down in South America, uh, Thailand, where we focus on dogs and cats, India, Egypt, where we're focusing on working equines, also Guatemala, um, and more recently, um, a heavy focus on Ukrainian animal uh, medicine and rescue. And I know, Gemma, when I spoke to you, I think it was at BVA Live, last uh, last year you had actually just come back from ukraine and obviously you know quite scary times because you're you're not anywhere in the country is dangerous obviously but you were pretty close to front line as well weren't you yeah so i was in ukraine for um just over five months last year um from april onwards and it actually started as a, a mission to find out how to best utilize funds raised for, for equines in Ukraine. And we were struggling with knowledge on how best to, um, to send that money, um, you know, what would reduce the requirement for transport of, for instance, purchasing food and medicines in the UK and sending them over. And it became clear to me that the best way to really get an understanding of how to use those donations responsibly was to go into Ukraine. Um, meet with local um, medicine dealers, uh, horse yards, owners, vets, and really get a feel for it from the ground. So um, I did go in and that very much snowballed into five months of animal rescue veterinary care work. Uh, we were down on the front line quite a lot um, by Mikolaev, Kirsten and so on, um, treating animals along the front line that had been abandoned um, and were injured by the war and also running spare and neuter campaigns to try and reduce the, the booming population of, of these stray animals. Um, so, yes, and uh, yeah, there's a lot coming for Ukraine this year as well. It's, it's an ongoing work. Uh, we really like to provide sustainable support. So 
it's it's been a real learning curve for me. It's definitely not if you'd have told me as a graduate you'll be going into a war zone uh, and treating animals, I wouldn't have believed you. But here we are. Mm. Well, you know, amazing work that you're doing, and part of the reason, obviously, you know, I wanted you to come on the podcast just to thank you for you know that great work that you are doing. Um, you know, it, it is a shocking time and a, a terrible time to to see so much destruction and of course the animals get caught in the middle of it don't they they do and i mean we've seen really terrible things we've seen animals um, you know intentionally maimed um by soldiers um but even just the, the abandonment you can be down on the front line and there's hundreds of animals running through villages that have been abandoned that you know golden retrievers and pugs and setters um they're people's pets um so to see that and they come up to you very lovingly and very eager for attention and it's really heartbreaking seeing that and you struggle with the feeling that you know you can't reach them all and you, you can't treat every single one and um it's more about doing what we can for the animals that we can reach one day at a time treat as many animals as you possibly can um finish your day knowing you've done as best you can with the 24 hours given to you and start again the next day um and i always say it's not just about the animals because down you know within ukraine in the areas that are under attack we all know how important our pets are i think most of us would would give up our family before we give up our pets um, they are family and that's exactly the same in ukraine people are living in wine cellars being bombed every evening in bed with their dog um you know that is the living being that is keeping them as a reason to get up in the morning it is their companion it is their family and that pet is so important to those people in that times of stress when they've lost family members um, you know their sons and husbands are out fighting um, when they perhaps didn't necessarily want to go um, people have been killed and lost their homes are flattened your pet becomes even more important and so we're not just rescuing and treating animals, we're, we're also helping the owners um, and the people of Ukraine through doing that. It's all part of this one health, isn't it? Which is very much everything is holistic. So the, the people, the pets, but also the planet. And I know the work that you do um, in Africa and in, in other countries, there's very much also a, a conservation of the wildlife and of the, the natural world as part of your remit as well, isn't it? Tell us maybe a little bit about some examples of that. Absolutely. So um, my main goal when I graduated was to work with wildlife. Um, and in Ukraine, it came in very handy that I happened to have treated an awful lot of big cats in Africa because we got called in for an unexpected emergency evacuation of nine lions from a zoo, which I was able to do, thankfully, based on the conservation work that um, I've done in Africa. But through um, the southern African countries, we really focused on um, conservation of the rhino, big cats, and all, all the species underneath. The flagships are the most impressive and exciting, but everything underneath is really important. And on that vein as well, the community and working with them, giving them a reason to want to conserve their own wildlife is for me incredibly valuable because, you know, one person or one team can only really do so much. You can only save so many snared animals and you can only um, heal so many, you know, dehorning attempts on rhinos, but by bringing the community in and talking to them um, and giving them a vested interest in their own um, heritage 
that's how you really start to change the world in the long term and make a difference for animal welfare, animal conservation, um, and give these species a chance to you know, be present in, in the generations to come. So we um, tie up with a number of different charitable organizations every year. We have volunteer vets and students, nurses and techs come out and join us um, with wildlife work. Um, be that dehorning the rhinos, um, translocating elephants to um, increase the flow of, of genetics across different reserves, um, removing snares, uh, a whole range of, of work. And the wildlife work really is really is very special. Mm, brilliant. I was at a talk um, given by the Born Free Foundation before Christmas, and they were talking about some of the conservancies in Kenya, obviously, um, huge problems with poaching and yet because they managed to get more of the community involved in that particular year no rhino had been poached which is which is massive and obviously um also spoke uh, recently to the, the person who's looking after the two final northern white rhino which are obviously now functionally extinct because they're two females although it's interesting that was at an event um, for nature's sake, and they're actually trying to conserve tissue in the hope that at some point they can help bring some of the species back. But obviously, the best way is is to keep these species and and to regenerate and to increase numbers as well. So it's um, it's fabulous work, and I think also bringing the community in. If if it continues to be something where foreign people come into African countries, you know that's not that's not seen as being appropriate in Africa because it's almost like a colonial thing, isn't it? Whereas if the local communities are looking after the animals, that's uh, much more self-sustaining, isn't it? Absolutely. And that, that's a global approach. Um, so you can't come into a country and insist on how they treat their animals or what their people do. And at the same time as a country, they can't single-handedly save all the species in their country. They need um, good sustainable ethical tourism you know photo tourism to to be encouraged from internationals and they need support from charities and um, you know for instance training up their vets to do a, a better work a lot of that comes from us bringing in international veterinary doctors that have experience um, and providing that training so it really is it's it's a it's a global effort no it's really important and I think also you know from from my perspective as a somebody who's very interested and in, and in trying to make a difference in conservation but also in the uk you know we are one of the most nature denuded countries one of the least wooded countries in europe you know we we need to also learn from other people because we're not doing a great job of it ourselves in in the uk so it's it's important to to be very open to uh, learning from each other isn't it it is and i think that's why um working with wildlife is just such a massive impact on um, you know the vets and the students the techs and the nurses that come out and work with us um, coming from I mean even from the states uh, from Australia from Europe um, they're not used to seeing that size of wildlife and that sheer diversity and immersing themselves in nature that's so entirely consuming that it's just everything that you could see to the horizon and um, as you find that it really being in those environments changes people not just as a as a medic, but as a person, um, we're actually starting up a new initiative um, for mental health awareness. Um, we're going to be basing seven-day CPD courses in Africa. And the idea is to just get people into this environment where all of a sudden you can see to the horizon all around you. You are the smallest 
weakest species on on in the savanna and um you know and understanding yourself and the um the limits as a person of what you can do and also the difference you can make in the world around you um just by taking you know small steps every day i think wildlife and nature it just it it inspires people and that's for me one of the main reasons i want to conserve it it's so important for us as a as a species i was down at slimbridge which is the big uh wildfowl and wetland trust center in gloucester at the weekend uh and you know spending time within nature looking at birds seeing two water rail that are usually very secretive and you can't see them that gives you a big sort of thrill and um you know there's no doubt that nature helps mental health and there is a mental health issue and part of you know the solution is is to immerse ourselves in nature to be doing things positively for nature to see ourselves as a part of the world rather than as kind of lords of the of, of nature i think is is something that's really really important because we did something at our virtual congress last year um we had a psychiatrist on and she was talking about solastalgia which is this existential dread of the planet is going to be destroyed and so therefore why do we bother about doing anything but also becoming very depressed by it and I think you said before when you were talking about Ukraine, you know, when I help that one dog, okay, it doesn't sound like a lot because it's one dog or 10 dogs in a day or however many, but for that one dog, it makes a huge difference. And actually, if we all do our little bit, and you're doing a lot, obviously, but if we all do our bit, a little bit adds up to a lot if we all do it. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I always say that I'm just one cog in, in a, you know, the greater scheme. Um, we would be able to do hardly any of what we do without our um, our volunteers and our, our you know support team. We have vets come out to our outreach clinics about um, three to four hundred volunteers every year to the ten different countries. Um, so that's vet students getting clinical experience and surgical experience, um, for instance, in the, the dog and cat spay and neuter clinics, or qualified vets training up local um, doctors and. Um, helping increase the numbers of animals we can reach. So without those people, um, we really wouldn't be able to, to touch the sides of what we're doing. And even this year alone, I mean, we've had some fantastic donations. Um, Vettel have got on board and donated um, X-ray and ultrasound units for Ukraine. Uh, Butterfly IQ have donated. They donated 20 ultrasound units uh, for Ukrainian vets alone, and two more that are off to South America at the moment. Sound donated X-ray equipment for our international work. Um, Pulse Vet donated Shockwave to be able to treat chronic wounds in dogs, cats, and horses in Ukraine. Um, but Boehringer Ingelheim donated um, a Meprazole to, to help a sick one of our sick um, hand-raised manatees in Peru. So it's a real um, variety of organisations that have got on board, and that um, you know, with our donors, we we're a, we're a team, we're a unit. There's it's not just one person. Obviously, what we'll do, you know, underneath the podcast is leave details of websites and emails. Uh, so presumably, as you've said, you know, more vets volunteering and nurses, presumably to go and work in in uh, some of these areas would be really beneficial. But also, I know a lot of the, you know, the people from bigger companies listen to this podcast. So if they if they can help in any way, then, of course, it'd be great for them to get in contact with you. And thank you for all those people yeah. who have already stepped up to the plate. No, absolutely. I mean, as I say, it's it's a team effort. And um, if anyone does want to, to find out a little bit more, so worldwidevets.com 
is the website. And from there, you can head to the contact us or you can look at what we're doing in Ukraine. You can see all the different countries we're working. Um, and that's the easiest way just to reach out if you're interested in, um, in volunteering or getting involved or just want to chat about the work we're doing and find out how you can help. Um, mm. So we just having that, that variety of people interested and supporting is really valuable. Do you want to become a part of the largest online veterinary community in the world? The Webinar Vets membership is the perfect tool to easily complete your veterinary CPD or CE. Watch webinars anytime, any place, on any connected device. Become a member today and explore our library of over 2,000 premium quality webinars. We also care about the environment as well as your CPD or CE. That's why we plant trees for every one of our members. To find out more, visit thewebinarvet.com forward slash memberships or click on the membership tab on our website. You know, obviously your, your passion comes through on the podcast. It did when I met you at the, uh, the Congress last year. And obviously I can see that this has been something that's been something really important to you for a long time and, you know, purpose-centred and obviously loving of people and of animals. I'm fascinated, actually, by the fact that you became a vet in 2014, but you actually founded the charity in or the NGO in 2011, so you were a student. Tell me a little bit about that sort of history. of You've obviously, I, I guess, been somebody who's loved animals all their life, pretty much. So where did this idea suddenly, and, you know, still as a student, trying to concentrate on passing vet exams is, is hard enough, but you were also setting up a, an NGO. So tell me that story. Yeah, so um, I travelled a lot uh, for a couple of years before university. I am a travel bug through and through, always have been. Um, Africa was the continent that really got me hooked to, to travel. And it changed my life, as we were talking about before, you know, just the, the environment that you're in, um, the world that you see when you're in Africa. For those of you that are listening to this that have been, and they'll know the, the, the saying that Africa gets under your skin and into your blood, and it's very true. Mm. And um, it really ignited my desire to travel. And I saw, um, it was actually in India, just a massive number of animals that needed treatment that couldn't receive it. The local charity clinic didn't have the funds or the you know, they weren't able to travel to that area. And the more I traveled, the more I saw that this was a really big problem. Um, and there were just so many animals needing treatment. And then at the same time, back at university, my colleagues would be saying, oh, do you know, I, I'm struggling to get good surgical training. Like I feel, um, you know, I, I want to travel and I want to give something back, even as a student, um, but especially as a graduate. Um, and it just started occurring to me, well, there's a brilliant way that we can combine these two things we can have people that want to give um and students that want to learn and graduates you know who want to give back and we can create and support clinics that need more hands on the ground more financial support um and more awareness raising so i started linking the two um the, the idea of worldwide vets was formed um and really it, it snowballed from there to start working with more clinics um, across more continents, doing more individual outreach to help animals. And we're always growing. As I say, the, the mental health um, CPD courses are a new thing this year. Um, we've started doing outreach um, in Guatemala, um, Zanzibar, just a whole different um, set of areas that we weren't able to reach before. So hmm. it just, 
yeah, it's, it's really blossomed from when I was a student back just wanting to help small organizations reach more animals to what it is today. It's interesting that the mental health aspect, I was on a, a webinar yesterday as a school governor and hearing about the problems in children and how many children, you know, in school age, uh, say they're struggling with mental health. Um, we actually did the first mindfulness series with the Royal College about seven or eight years ago now. And obviously all of our training is, you know, really high quality and people will come up and say, thank you, that was a great course. But actually with the mindfulness training, and we, we've continued to, you know, do things on sleep and so on. But with the mindfulness training, people would come up to me and say, actually, you know, this has changed my life. Thank you so much for arranging this because I'm not shouting at my nurses in the practice. I'm going on holiday and I'm actually being able to relax and not think about the practice all the time. So the the, the mindfulness and, you know, mental health training, I think, is massively important and and obviously um you know i applaud you for you know continuing to work in that area as well yeah and we're hoping to, to take all of that and to put it in a stunning environment um you know in the middle of nature in a beautiful lodge um and mix it with you know things that that do push your boundaries walking with wildlife um yeah. you know all those things that then just really create a, a holistic life-changing experience and i'm very excited for that yeah, no, it sounds exciting. I've been doing something similar, trying to facilitate the profession to regenerate into a more hopeful, environmentally friendly and sustainable space. So last year we did the Veterinary Green Discussion Forum and we had about 25 you know, of the bigger companies and associations coming together and we held that at a nature reserve in Preston. And part of our time there was also... Um, helping to rake up the wildflower meadows to get them ready for this year. And, you know, we were carrying frogs back into safety, little froglets that were in amongst all of that. By actually grounding people in nature, they then see the importance of saving it much more than if you held that meeting at a, you know, a posh hotel in the middle of Birmingham or something. So, yeah, it's it sounds great what you're doing. And I do hope that uh, that works really successfully for for you. Um, I enjoyed my time in Africa. I took a sabbatical 2006 and had three months traveling around. So I, I know you either love Africa or you hate it. I think it either, it gets under your skin one way or the other. And I think both of us obviously share a love for it. But one of my other favorite countries that I visited, uh, one of the most biodiverse places in the world, I've been told is Costa Rica. And I know you're doing some work there as well. So tell us about what you're getting up to in Costa Rica. Absolutely. So we have um, a veterinarian based full time in a wildlife sanctuary in Costa Rica, um, and he is treating uh, purely wildlife. We get the occasional domestic animal brought in and we do once a fortnightly outreaches, spays, neuters and vaccinations for the community mm. um, to improve the relationship with them for the wildlife gain, really. Yeah. And Costa Rica, as you can imagine, you know, there's some big roads running through really well um, stocked wildlife areas and there's things like primates um, hit on the road um, birds injured trapped in wires um, we have tapirs injured tapirs silky anteaters um, I mean that's just a, a week's worth that's come in you know within, within the last yeah. week so 
it's it's a really awesome project because Costa Rica itself is just pure jungle and it's stunning and it's beautiful and people are lovely. Um, but yes, you've got the human wildlife conflict of an awful lot of tourism and an awful lot of movement of people around. And um, our main goal is to return all the wildlife possible back out to nature. Um, and those that can't, then they have a permanent um, safe space in the sanctuary. And we have mostly vet students um, and nurses and techs coming through to do a work experience underneath that vet um, and gain exotics um, knowledge on you know both the husbandry and the preventative and reactive medicine side of, of wildlife work. And is the vet there a Costa Rican or European? No, it's Costa Rican. Costa Rican. So um, each each project that we work, we we employ a local um, veterinarian. And then we also do have a, a rotating team of uh, qualified vets with you know more experience in that field come out and provide further training to him. So they'll come for two weeks yeah. to a month. Um, you know, if they feel uh, primate specialists, ungulate specialists, and so on, who have something to develop the skills of of the local vet, um, and then they give something back to that vet, and then that vet then trains um, local yeah. and international students. So it's. Really special Brilliant. project. I think Costa Rica has a lot to teach us. It doesn't have a standing army, uh, and it's actually been really successful at beginning to reforest again. So, um, I, and one of our vets who works with us is is actually based in Costa Rica as well. So it's uh, doing some fabulous work, and we can, as I say, learn from the countries. Yeah, it's unique in that it, it really has no um, formal tourism focus other than wildlife um there's some beautiful big boulders that you can go and visit that have historical um relevance but beyond that i mean it it's beautiful wildlife areas nature and it just goes to show that costa rica is such a hot destination for for travel people want to go and see nature they want to go and see animals and um photograph and enjoy and be immersed in that um it doesn't have pyramids it doesn't have old buildings it doesn't have any of that it just has the wild and people love that i think finally it's interesting you know we've just had um the the ocean treaty uh agreed and obviously a lot on 30 by 30 it's us seeing that possibility of rewilding some of our own areas in the uk to to an extent where they are much more um encouraging of tourists coming in to actually watch wildlife because obviously a lot of our national parks are very green but it's a monoculture of grass and uh, there's not a great deal of biodiversity in those areas yeah absolutely and you know you've got to it, a lot of people want to travel and do things internationally but being at home and, and looking at the world that, that we live in um, and how we can best support that is just as valuable um, mm. they say the grass is greenest where you water it so no, I absolutely agree with you. Gemma, it's been great speaking to you. Um, as a student, I visited uh, Zimbabwe and had a really great time there. I know you're there at the moment and very, very busy. So the fact that you've been able to get some time in from your diary and, and give that to us is, is really appreciated. And thank you for all the fabulous work you're doing in conservation, but also this frontline work that you've been doing in Ukraine. It, it's such a distressing and upsetting situation that is happening there but it's it's great to see people like yourself getting involved and, and making a difference for people and for pets 
Yeah, no. So, um, and as I always say, people think, oh, how can I get involved? You know, I, I can't necessarily give, you know, a month to come and volunteer in Peru or I don't want to go into Ukraine, but there's so much need for such a wide variety of support, be it people yeah. coming out and volunteering, be it donation of supplies that are no longer in use, secondhand equipment that we can take out to the Amazon, um, you know, to use on the wildlife, um, even just this podcasts, links to newspapers, spreading the information, getting into schools, talking to mm. kids, um, financial donations. There's there's a huge variety of ways that people can support. So if if you hear this and you think, "Crikey, I want to make a difference," I'm just not sure how, or you know, I know exactly how. Um, please do head over to worldwidebets.com, reach out, um, and yeah, we just love to to talk about what we do and how we do it and how other people can support because it's as I say, a global effort. And the more hands on deck, um, the better and, and the bigger impact we can make around the world as a team. So the more people we can welcome to our family, the better. Yeah, well, I love these hopeful stories, you know, the positive stories where we see that, you know, we can make a difference sometimes, you know, with with small numbers, but the, the actual impact can be massive. So thank you for the great work you're doing. I'm, I'm so pleased that we've got to uh, to chat on the podcast. And uh, for those listening, please do go and have a look at the website and get in touch with Gemma and her team and see how you can help because it's such a, a worthy cause. Thank you so much for today. Gemma, thank you so much. Thanks for all the work you're doing. And thanks everyone for listening. Uh, this is Anthony Chadwick at the Webinar Vet. And this has been Vet Chat. Take care. Bye-bye.